Hey, hi, my name is Scott Eastman. I'm a pastor at Life Church in Green Bay. And my name is Becky Alcantar. I'm the author and co-founder of Journey to Wholeness, a program designed to help you feel equipped to face life's challenges. That's beautiful, Becky. It's like you read that right off your computer screen. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the whole podcast where we talk about things, subjects, topics, struggles, hurts, brokenness, that all together, if we could just talk them through, might find us at a place where we're more whole. Exactly. Yeah. That's our goal. Yeah. We want to feel whole, uh, but also be whole. Yeah. It's a big deal. And especially like in these times, right? When there's, we spend so much time with ourselves and in our own heads right now that it's easy to like, feel like it's a house of mirrors or a, you know, a maze, like in the shining where you're just like, I don't even know how to get out of this right now. Absolutely. It probably wasn't a journey you planned on taking or wanted to take. And yet we're all in the same boat, having to face some things that maybe we needed to face before and didn't have the opportunity or found other ways to distract or keep yeah. ourselves busy so that we wouldn't have to face yeah, them. I love that. It reminds me just, in fact, um, one thing I do every night is I lay down with my son. Uh, he's 11. He's, his name is Abe. And he's like a copy paste, right, of me. Nice. So much so that, um, you know, so what we do is we lay down together and then like, he like, he always starts. He says, so like, dad, what was the best thing that happened to you today? Like he just started that. Like, I didn't ask that. Yeah. Like it wasn't. But it sounds like you. Yeah, it does sound like me. <laughs> And so like, and so we would talk about that and then I asked him, then he asked me about the bad parts and, you know, and we talk until we fall asleep. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and it works so good for me because I do that because I snore, I think. And so I try not to fall or go to bed at the same time as Kate, because I'd hate for my snoring to keep her awake. So sure. when she's asleep, maybe she's less susceptible to hear my sure. snoring. Anyway, so that's why it's okay <laughs> for me to fall asleep somewhere else. Anyway. The other night we were having one of these conversations and then he started bursting, like he burst out into tears. And mm -hmm. first he was talking about how he's, um, he's unsure of what heaven's going to be like. And so that freaks him out. He said, like, I'm worried. Like, I don't know what to expect. And I don't want to go someplace where I don't know what to expect and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, so we, you know, we kind of talked through that a little bit about how, like, listen, if, if this is amazing, like if earth is amazing and sunsets and flowers and fields and sunsets and did I say sunsets already? Sunrises and like all the things, right. If they're all beautiful here, like how much more beautiful are they going to be? you know, on the other side. And so I, I don't, like, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know for sure, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Right. And then he, and then he like cried even harder. And he said that he was sad because when he thinks about me dying, he realizes that his, his half brother, my first son, he said, he's had 20 more years to be your son. And I'm not going to have that. I, when you die, I'm going to have had less time to be your son. Mm -hmm. And so like, Oh my gosh, that's crushing. And so and it reminded me that when I was a kid, like I hated to be by myself. I definitely hated to try to fall asleep by myself, mm -hmm. but that was in, you know, 1970, whatever. Right. So we weren't really right. big on the whole, Hey, let's get in touch with your feelings thing. Exactly. It was like, shut up, rub some dirt on it, yeah. walk it off. Exactly. You know, that kind of parenting. And so I would sneak into my parents' bedroom and I would sleep at the foot of their bed, not like on the bed, but just on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. Or then they put in like this little couch, not for me, but just because they thought it looked posh. And so they had like this little tiny love seat in their rooms and I would fall asleep on that. Yeah, yeah. But then my dad started locking the door, right? <laughs> but it was like one of those locks that not with a key, but just like you just used a butter knife to turn it and oh, then right. like it would just pop. And so I'd like, sure. stupid dad. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, and then, but then he put a lock lock, like a key lock. Yeah. Right. And I could totally imagine him. I don't remember it, but I could totally imagine him dusting off his hands and say, problem solved. As though, you know, the problem was the evidence. Right. Mm -hmm. But the problem was like, I, 
I was scared. I was anxious. I was like, my mom would take me to the doctor because I had ulcers, right? Like, okay. I'm like, what do I have ulcers for? But I was like, even as a young as Abe, I was worried about everything. I was worried about what kids thought of me. I was worried about what my parents thought about me. And we just didn't deal with that kind of stuff. Right. We didn't deal with that kind of anxiety back then. You were just, you know, they didn't put you on prescriptions, but they didn't, right. you know, they didn't help you walk through it either, you know? Yes. So that's the number one question we actually do get. How do I deal with my anxiety? It's something we we haven't talked about. And it's something that isn't the same for everyone. The cause of our anxiety is going to be uh, different for each of us. Um, and what that is, is a reaction that is triggered by a specific stressor. So I think about what, as you're talking about, Abe, what is it that's causing him stress right now? You didn't realize he even had this in him until you had this time where he's stressed. And we've discovered that with our children as well, that this time is stressing them more than we even realized or anticipated. Uh, most kids would say, yay, I don't have to go back to school right now. But as time has gone on, we've seen that it's actually creating a bigger stress for them than we thought. In comes anxiety then, where they have worries about things that uh, may not ever happen, right? They're creating scenarios. They're trying to make sense of the world. And so uh, when we're trying to make sense of the world and we don't have all of the data, we fill in pieces. We're trying to create that storyline so that our minds can reconcile that inside of us. And sometimes when we're stressed, it starts pulling things that our adrenaline and our cortisol are saying, like, maybe you should wor be worried about this. Maybe you should be fearful about this. Something's going on here. I'm going to try to help you to... Uh, resolve this. And so that's where anxiety can come into play. Um, and I like to say, uh, it's just a red flag that there's an underlying issue. A lot of times we can be embarrassed or shamed that we have anxiety in our life. Um, my daughter and I, we just had a big, long conversation. She has had some anxiety, which led to panic attacks for her. Um, for me, I had to recognize that I am somebody who has struggled with anxiety as well. What you said about you and Abe being the same, I realize that my daughter and I are much more alike than I had thought. And so that can be tough for us parents because maybe we haven't actually addressed anxiety in our life. And now we're trying to help our child who we want to save from any hardship or any difficulty process that as well. So now we're on double duty. I better figure out my stuff so that I can help them figure out their stuff because I don't want them to be a 45 or 55 or 65 year old person not having ever addressed it or dealt with it or had a long uh, history of anxiety throughout their life. Yeah. I, like I want, it makes me wonder like, why does it come with that kind of baggage? Why does anxiety or panic attacks? Cause like, even when you say those words, I think weak, why are you such a wuss? <laughs> Right. right. Like why, why are you having panic attacks or why do you have anxiety? Because we just, we were made that way. We were we made were. to like, so like, where does that come from and how can we get past that? Okay. So, um, in an ideal world, we would react or we would respond rather than react. We've talked about that before, but unfortunately we just don't live in an ideal world. If the last few months have taught us anything is that life's going to throw challenges at us. So we will have anxiety because there are unknowns in, in life. Even when we think we have it all down, even when we think we understand how things should work and how the process goes, there's always going to be an opportunity to uh, overcome some new obstacles and challenges. And, uh, what we need to do is just recognize that anxiety is just letting us know, okay, uh, there's something underneath here that you're fearful of or that you're imagining that's going to happen or that something that's influenced you that's affected how you're facing life today. So um, what causes that? Stress, 
right? Any kind of stress is going to tell us something's off here in the world. And so should we worry about this? Should we be fearful, right? It's it's survival mode. Should we run? Should we uh, fight? Should we pause? Um, is your body trying to help you in that process? And then there's unprocessed trauma. So there's some perceived threat or problem in my environment that I need to address. Now, we can go back to old traumas and go, is this the same? Is this the same? Is this the same? And if we haven't processed any of those, then they're all the same. And so we're going to overreact and the anxiety level is going to increase really quick. Uh, maybe we had a difficult childhood, right? So uh, I learned that I can't, um, I'm going to get locked out of my parents' room. And so I can't rely on anyone. So now you're working on that script. When you face a new uh, problem, I can't rely on anyone. That's a script that you're trying to overcome. Can we talk about, I know you, you I see you keep seeing you look at your notes. So you have like a thousand things you want to say. I'm sorry if I'm interrupting no, you. No, let's talk about because it. Because I know that last time we talked about shortcuts, like our brain takes shortcuts. Like mm -hmm. once something happens once, right? you know, then the brain says, oh, when this happens, this is what's, you know, this, mm -hmm. the, you know, this is, here's what's about to happen. Right. You know, and so you, know, you just brought it up, you know, where. You know, when I was a kid, my dad locked me out. And he, I'm sure he wasn't, he didn't, he didn't do that with any kind nope. of malice or any kind Not of like, that's all. just what a dad would do. Right. You know, like you solve the problem. Right. And so I, I recognize that, but still, like you said, you know, is it, is it little wonder that I feel like I'm, I'm always worried that I'm going to make somebody mad or if I'm going to, I'm going to drive someone away. There you go. Right. Because, and so now I'll do whatever it takes mm -hmm. to not make them mad, to right. not drive them away, to hold them close. Right. Almost to the point of like damage. Yeah. Right. And so like, and again, this is back to trauma, right? Yes. It all goes back to trauma and trauma, like we said last time, isn't, you know, you know, being in Iraq, it's not being in Vietnam. It's right. not being abused as a child. Those things are all real things. I'm not saying that's not that thing, right. but like your trauma doesn't have to be worthy of an after school special to be traumatic in your own mind. Exactly. Well, it's worthy of a Hallmark special, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> so Sorry. there's yeah. some unmet expectation or some need that you had that wasn't met. That's where that's the definition of trauma, the very, very simple definition. And then as you were talking about coping mechanisms that you've used, so you determined subconsciously that this is how you need to navigate the world to avoid that again, or to not have your need, uh, well, not have rejection or have your yeah. need met. And so now you're doing extra, right? So you're doing so much more. Extra. So your coping mechanism can start to create more anxiety for you, right? Cause you're creating scripts and scenarios and you're trying to bypass and like, you're trying to get ahead of it all of the time, except the world keeps moving and interactions keep happening and new challenges keep uh, coming up. And at some point, it just starts to build up. And that's where you get to the point where anxiety can be can just stop you in your tracks. It can interfere with your relationships. It can interfere with your decision making. It can uh, interfere with uh, your relationships and how you progress in, in your in your career and in your family. Um, so there's just so many things that we have to stop and say, what is happening here? Um, and so when we talk about dealing with anxiety, um, I, this is the whole podcast, right? So we have to take a whole look at how we're dealing with that. And this was part of the conversation my daughter and I had um, just recently. What did she do that helped the situation? What did she do that didn't help the situation? And we looked at it 
completely. We went through all the steps, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And then we founded that on our spirituality, our faith, right? So that's the cement that we set our foundation on. And uh, if we don't address each of these areas when we're looking at dealing with our anxiety, it's going to fall off the tracks. Now, I'm not saying you have to address each of these every single day or every single week, but collectively, we have to make sure that we're considering all three points. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves having anxiety because we took away one of the legs and now we're limping along. So we're still off the tracks. Yeah. I mean, when I hear you talking, you know, mental health, again, even just saying those words, right? You're like, oh, gross, mental yeah. health. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, this is for crazy people, right? Yeah. But it's like mental health is like as much as like we should be having as many mental health gyms as we have physical health yes. gyms. Yes. You know that would I mean? be fun. It would be fun. I think it would be fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be easier for me. But, but I mean, I feel like that's just as important, right? It is. Like what good is it to live forever with a healthy spleen if like your head is all screwed up? And right. so anyway, what, now I forgot what I was going to say because now I'm onto this idea of a mental health gym. <laughs> anyway, so my, my point was, is that like when you exercise that, when you exercise pulling it through those lenses or those yes. filters- you know what I mean? Then it there's hard trying to be naturally. At first it's really hard, but like the gym is really hard at first. Right. Like what? 10 pounds? I'm like, can't lift 10 pounds, right. right? Like, like I remember I went to the gym and I had a trainer and we were trying to like work out this trade thing because I didn't feel like I should pay for a trainer. And I really should have. He was a really great guy. His name is BJ Hill. And so if you uh, know BJ, keep paying him. And if you don't know BJ, go see him and pay him because he's great. Anyway, when I would lift weights, I like I could only do the bar. Like mm-hmm. I could only do the bar. The right, bar. Right, right. Right. No, no like platey things mm-hmm. on it. Right? That bar's like, heavy. It is. <laughs> it is heavy. I'm not sure I should be agreeing with you because I mean like you're you know what I mean? I'm sure you're using the the man bar. Right, not- yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. But I mean that's the same true uh, true of our of our mental health. And we when we first start trying to yes. exercise these things, it's, it's not heavy. Yeah, it's not comfortable. You don't want to do it. It doesn't come easy. Right. right. It's a struggle. But what I find is that when I, I think last week we talked about the unexamined life. Right. Mm. And I feel like that's what we're talking about. Like, let's pull this through. Like, what is like, what's happening? What, how is this making you feel mentally? How is this making you feel physically? Like right. what just happened? Right. All those things. And it actually becomes like a second nature. Exactly. Where you, you know, where you walk through those things in your mind. And so like, and then everything, and then that's what wholeness begins to look like right. when you can start, because not everyone is my dad. Not everyone is locking me out of the room, but they might be coming at me from a different direction in that way, but I can't treat them like they were my dad. Exactly. Like they've got, they've got their own mess right. that they're dealing with. And that's, that's uh, determining how they're coming at me or what they're, you know, doing at me. For sure. You know? And it's not something that you're doing. You may be hearing Scott and going, I don't think that I don't do that on purpose. And absolutely we don't do it on purpose, but we are operating on a mode of operations. I think we've said that before. We're my subconscious, my brain decided this is how the world works. And so this is how I should react whenever I have these types of encounters. And so even if it's similar, so it might be an intonation of a voice. It could be the smell of someone's cologne. It could be uh, someone, the color of someone's eyes or the beard, or it can be so many little things that trigger our memories that say, this might be the same thing. Let's react in this way because that's appropriate. And you have to be aware of those things. If you haven't actually addressed those or thought about them as they have happen. Um, so 
think about the last time you felt anxiety, where you felt it start to rise up. So what are some of the symptoms of anxiety? So a pounding heart, chest pain, um, shortness of breath, right? Hyperventilation, dizziness, right? Headache, numbness or tingling, nausea. How many people say they get nauseous when they go into a certain situation? Stomach pain. Psychologically, you can um, start having your mind racing, like all these things are happening in your head and someone's talking to you and you have no idea what they're saying to you at this point because you're just hearing um, the dialogue that's going on in your head. Maybe you go blank, you just freeze up and you have you don't even know your own name. You don't know how to respond. And then you feel the shame and embarrassment and stress afterwards because, oh, have you ever done this? I wish I had said, I, I could have done or I should have done. We go through that. Um, you get irritable or impatient, right? You don't know what to do. So you get impatient quickly. You get anger or you uh, feel confused or restless. Um, so there's so many things that we can say, okay, this is what was happening there. I was getting anxious. Why was I getting anxious? And so here are some of the um, questions mentally that I tell people to say or ask themselves, what do I believe was going to happen? Right. And a lot of times um, I'll let, let's back up a little bit. I like to start with the emotions because your emotions are your red flag telling you something's going on here. So it's saying, hey, look at me like I'm I'm trying to draw your attention to this. And so sometimes we have to go, why was I feeling emotional? What, what was happening in that moment? And just define what was happening. Okay, this person was talking to me. And okay, so then what was happening there? Well, they were accusing me of this, or I thought they thought, okay, so now we're getting to the root of it. I thought they thought, did they think, right? So we start to pick it apart. Um, when did this happen? Well, it happened when the scenario started, okay? And then where was I when this happened? Because sometimes that has everything to do. I cannot be, some people will say, I can't have my back to a door. If my back is to a door, I'm afraid that something's going to happen to me from behind. Why is that? Now, some people know exactly why they they were attacked or, or something horrible happened like that. Other people don't know. It goes to maybe their childhood. It goes to maybe a simple uh, time when someone scared them thinking they were being funny, right? You got a big boo from your, your sibling and now you're mortified to have your back to the door because your brain processed that as, okay, never, ever, ever have your back to the door again. And so we look at our emotions. We say, what was rising? Where did I feel myself flushing? Where did I feel myself getting anxious? or irritable or scared or, or sad or, or depressed. What were my emotions telling me? And we just jot that down. And then we start asking ourselves, okay, why was I getting emotional? What did I believe was going to happen? And that is the root question for any anxiety. So if I'm feeling worried and stressed and it's just amplifying and I can't get it under control, my stomach's hurting and I just want to cry and hide, what did I think was going to happen? And usually it's an exaggerated version of something that actually there's some truth in it, but it's exaggerated. Was that really what was happening? And we have to ask ourselves those questions. Is that actually what was happening? What do I actually know to be true? And then we start with, because in and of ourselves, we'll go, I don't know. I don't know. And sometimes we don't know, right? That's that arrested development we talked about before. I can't make those connections. I'm an intelligent, capable, hardworking, able person who can operate and function in this world as a productive adult. However, there's some connections that I just didn't form and I need someone to help me to make that connection. And so often I'll say, okay, if you can't think of what you would say to yourself in this situation, what would you say to a friend? So I'm coming to you saying this right now, what would you say to that person? And immediately our empathy kicks in our compassion and we have all the answers for them. And yet it's very hard for us to do that for ourselves. Then you turn it back on yourselves. Can I say that same thing to myself? And then we go to what we know, what has history showed me? 
Has this ever happened to anyone? Has this ever happened to me? What is the likelihood of this happening in my world? Is it possible? Well, anything's possible. Is it likely? Probably not. And that's what we're struggling with right now, right? Things that we never thought were possible or could ever happen to us, suddenly they came true. Now our anxiety is through the roof. Well, if this could be true, then all these other things can be true. Um, so those are some words that I we pointed out. What are some of these words that are extremes that you hear yourself saying, well, I'll never get this right. I uh, always see this happen. Um, uh, I don't know. Think of some other words um, that basically just say to you, like, uh, I am exaggerating this situation. And uh, that will tell you that I am operating on a thought, an exaggerated, amplified thought that is increasing my anxiety right now. So never, always, everything, every, all, forever. As soon as you hear yourself saying that, and if you need to talk to someone so that they can point that out, oop, you just used all again. Is that true? Forever. Is anything forever or is it right now? We don't know the end. We don't know when this will all resolve, but will it be forever? Probably not. And so we need to pull that back and actually speak truth to ourselves so that we can start resetting those scripts that we have. So that was, hang on, that was seven straight minutes. <laughs> and so if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a not self-evaluator and I'm listening to this, I'm like, who's got time for that? I ain't nobody <laughs> got time for that. Go through all that in my head. And I just like, for me, I know that it doesn't take all that time that happens in the, in an instant. Yeah. I go through all those questions, all yep. those, you know for what I mean? Sure. So like, yeah, it took a long time for you to explain that, yeah. but like when in practice, it's not that like you can, you recognize yeah. those things instantly. It is. And it isn't. So think about that. I have been dealing, if this is you and this has been me, if I have been dealing with anxiety for years, I have been operating on the same reactions and I want to respond. So yes, all of those thoughts happen in 30 seconds to a minute. Like you made decisions. Why? Because a lot of those things you've decided within you. So you're not reassessing those things. What we're trying to do is can you take seven minutes to change your life? Can you take seven minutes to slow down that roll? And ask those questions yeah. because just in me saying them to you as you're processing your specific situation, you started to feel a little better, right? Like, oh yeah, this is true. This is true. This isn't true. This isn't true. Boom. Done. Yeah. If we can do that each time we find ourselves in a moment where we're having extreme anxiety, right? Anxiety happens every day in your, your workplace. And, but when you're feeling it extreme where uh, you don't remember the last time your stomach didn't hurt. You don't remember the last time you didn't have tension. You don't remember the last time you didn't have a headache or a migraine. Now that's the time to say, can I take seven minutes to break down exactly what's happening here? Because like you said, it's a muscle. The more we do it, the more we release, the more pressure we release, the better we feel, the stronger we become. And then this becomes an easier and easier process so that it does become a three minute exercise. I can do three minutes anytime if I am willing to do seven minutes. So, um, Often we only address one of these areas when we're trying to tame our anxiety. So um, think about each one of those. And this is what I had to walk through with my daughter. 
Uh, so we looked at a time in her life and we said, okay, what did you give up trying to deal with? Because you realized you were overloaded and you needed to process. What did you give up? She had given up some physical activity. She had given up a sport for a, a time period. And it was only a time period. But what we found was that was one of the things she enjoyed the most that helped her release the tension in her body, that helped her to relax, it helped her to wring out all the emotions and the mental stress. And so while that was good in that it opened up time for her, it didn't help her because she wasn't doing anything physically at that point to help work out those emotions and that anxiety that was happening. So the same can be true about your emotions. Many of us don't like to deal with our emotions. We don't want to take the seven minutes to say what was going on here and then just to cry about it, right? Um, or, or to bang the table about it or to go work out about it and punch a punching bag. Uh, we need to process those emotions. Otherwise, they just build up. I talk about the balloon. It's like blowing up a balloon and those are your emotions, the air, and you just hang on to it. Inevitably, when there's pressure put on it, it, you get the squeaky sound that comes out of the balloon when some of the air comes out, but then we like bottle it up again and we save it. So instead of just like letting it come out, like I'm just going to feel this for the next five minutes. You can set a timer for that. I'm going to feel this for five minutes, get into a quiet place. I don't want anyone to see me, you know, go to the basement if you have to go for a walk, if you have to, and just feel it out. You don't have to process that again. We think that, oh, if I let it out, I'm going to lose control. But instead, what we're doing is we're letting it out so it doesn't continue to build up so that we're continuously having to hold on to the top of that balloon and 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 deal with it over and over and over again. It's like you're saving all of that horrible feeling for later. Who wants to do that? Do you think people do you think people hold on to their anxiety pressure because they're ashamed of it? Do you think that might, that that leads to people saying, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow up, or I'm not gonna cry, or I'm not gonna something"? Yeah, you know, I should. I'm a man, or I'm right. an independent woman, or whatever. And so they just like, I'm just gonna keep this in because yeah. for me to show this would show weakness, and then I'll lose respect from people, or exactly. I'll use, you know what I mean? I have to hold it all together. That's the script that we often use, or maybe uh, suck it up, right? Like, why are you crying? There's a comedian. Why are you crying now, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we feel like, okay, then I must not. I shouldn't be doing that. And uh, it might have been well-intended even, or it was uh, it came from someone who didn't know how to process those things. And so rather than say, okay, let's work through this and talk about it and get it out. They were like, why are you crying out? Because they were exasperated because they didn't know how to deal with their emotions. So how could they help you with yours? And so there's different things that we definitely say to ourselves or thoughts we have or shame we have. Uh, I think earlier you said like, well, talk about my this and that, like that's weak, right? You got that from someone somewhere. Who was that? And why did you decide and agree that that was a voice of authority in your life? Yeah. But you know, even just hearing you talk now, I just banged the table. I told you stop banging the table, Becky, and then I banged <laughs> the table. Anyway, like I think about for many of us when we were young, right? When we were crying it famously, like not just my parents, but all parents said, you better shut up or I'll really give you something to cry about. Right. right? Like we weren't allowed to like, mm -hmm. you know, express our emotions. We weren't allowed to feel them. And I think about right. like when you go shopping at Walmart or Target or something and there's these parents are just like yeah. treating their kids like their kids have like adult minds that they can, they should know, oh, that's reasonable. I actually shouldn't be crying. Right. Like, but kids can't get that. And I right. feel like when we start applying our anxiety or our psychosis mm -hmm. like to our kids mm -hmm. now we're in a dangerous place we're like well my dad always told me to shut up or he'd give me something to cry about so i'm 
That's what I'm going to tell yeah. my kid. Yeah. Right. Like, but how did that work out for you? And yeah. a lot of us say, well, I turned out fine. Right. Yeah. But are you fine? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what are you, are you actually talking about these things or are they building up inside you and you can't sleep at night and you're afraid that someone's going to find out that you don't actually have it all together. Right. So that's where perfectionism can come from. I'm trying to be perfect and perfectionism can be awesome and a blessing and very helpful in this world. But when it becomes something that we're trying to do all the time to mask some underlying issues, some underlying underlying fault, some underlying uh, shortfall that we have because we don't want to be perceived as incapable. We don't want to be called crazy or we don't uh, want uh, anyone to lose confidence in us. Right. And there can be so many factors playing into that. The question is for you, what is that for you? What is the script? What is the thing that you agreed with that this is how the world works or in order to be respected, this is how I have to operate. This is how I have to uh, present myself. Why is it not okay for me to take the time to work through these items so that I'm not in the state of anxiety perpetually? I feel like it's really important that you have to, you have to come to the realization that you can't keep ignoring it. Right. Like you can't keep ignoring the, the, um, anxiety. You can't keep ignoring what's happening because you're going to handicap yourself and it's just going it, to, it, and it, I feel like it grows exponentially. Like it's like mm-hmm. interest, like it's compounded yes, interest. It does. And so like, if you don't deal with it and I didn't deal with it, I just like started treating everything. However I dealt with it in my twenties is how I dealt with it in my thirties and how I dealt with it in my forties. Right. Like I was handicapped. Right. You know what? And I'm not trying to Again, I don't want to like overuse that term, but I mean, I just totally feel like I was, you know, I was operating at a less than efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Because of that. And so like, if you're sitting back thinking, well, I mean, like, listen, I'm holding my down my job. I'm a good parent to my kids and I'm, you know, I've got friends and everything's fine. Well, I'm just telling you that you're, you know, you, you don't know how good it could be if you could just right. address some of these things, address some of the ways that we like find out, like when you snap yeah. at someone, at your kids, at your spouse, at work, at another driver on the road, like let's get to the bottom of that because right. you're handicapped. Yeah. And who suffered in that instance, but you. And we think that if it doesn't hurt someone else, then it must be fine or that it's okay. Or I, sh- I don't actually have to deal with it. I always just think of, you know, when there's a full moon or there's an almost full moon, you know, when you're looking at the moon and you're like, is it actually full? And you're like, I think it's full. And then you look it up and you're like, nope, it's not full. Like it was missing like 10% or 15%. And we can operate that way in life where we go, this is good enough. I don't need to live whole. This is all that I ever want and will ever work toward or ever need. And that's just sad. Like God, he, he didn't come and send his son to save us from these things, to help us to realize these things so that we could live a subpar, almost life. Like what else in your life do you do at like 80%, right? Are you living your life that way overall? And what are you missing out on that is available to you? Like, it's like right there, like outstretched hand. And you're like, Oh no, thank you. Like, I don't actually want to be completely happy. I'd like to keep a little bit of the sadness and anger and irritability in my life. Thank you very much because it's easier, right? It's just like going to start a workout. Ah, it's going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's the uncertainty and not knowing. And that's why we're talking about it here. Like, let's just talk about it. It's, it is new. It's something that we didn't talk about largely as a community 
uh, especially Americans, we're very much like do it on your own and and suck it up and keep going and don't complain. And, you know, it's all on you. Uh, and that's not what we were created for. We were created for a relationship. We were created for joy and blessing and interaction and, and being whole. And whenever we s- settle for anything less, we're disagreeing with the plan that God had for us. Yeah, I want to come back to that, to the God piece of this. But first, I just want to say... Like, I feel like people think they're really good at masking their anxiety or masking their hurt or masking their brokenness. But I just want to tell you, like, if you can hear my voice right now, like, you suck at it. Mm-hmm. Like, you, everyone knows. Your kids know. Your spouse right. knows. You think you got it all covered up, but everyone feels it. Oh, there's a question uh, that we ask here in family life, or maybe that was asked of us, and it just stuck with me. Uh, go to the people that you love the most and say, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And uh, if you have had communication uh, between those people you love, they will tell you like, and if you see them hesitate, you know, oh, they have something to say to me. If you don't feel comfortable saying it to my face, write it down for me, please, because I want to improve. And then ask pointed questions. Am I? And ask, there's things that we think that we mask and that no one else sees. And I guarantee you that they do. They just love you so much. They're just trying not to point it out. Um, They're trying to support you in other ways. Uh, But I guarantee you that they're having conversations. Well, you know, dad, this is how he is. Or, you know, mom, that's how she is. Or, you know, you know, cousin Scott, you you know how he is. You know, they're having those conversations. It doesn't mean they love you any less. They just decided we love you so much that we we, we're going to love you how you are. But they definitely hope for more for you and will be a part of helping you to pinpoint and identify those areas that why live in shadows? Why live in you know, assumptions, why not actually get the whole truth um, and then work on uh, improving that together? Uh, it's It'll do wonders for the relationships in your life, especially if there's things that you haven't addressed that you really, really need to address uh, because it's affecting those you love. I hate the idea that we've created marriage in such a way that we feel like it's something we have to win. Like we feel like someone, I'm maybe you're making a face. I feel like maybe that's just me. No, and, I'm a okay. Enneagram three. So I'm all, all about winning. <laughs> <laughs> so like we can't, we can't admit to a weakness. We can't admit to being wrong. We can't admit to Cause then we would not be winning. And so mm. like, I think about some stuff that happens for me and like, I always, I always look at what my wife, Kate, whom I love, I always look at what she does through the lens of what would it mean if I did that? Mm. And like, I've already admitted like in two episodes of the whole podcast, (laughs) what a complete mess I am. And so why would I ever think that I've got a a sound basis to see what she's doing? Like the other day, um, she asked me, Kate takes care of all the money because I'm really lousy with money. And it's funny because Becky knows that I'm really lousy with money too, because she (laughs) takes care of the church money for me. Anyway, she was asking me a question about money, which always generates anxiety for me Mm. because of where I've been in my past, right? I've filed for bankruptcy. I've had cars repossessed. I've been one week from homelessness, right? Like I, I, 
I feel finances. And so Kate's like, Hey, I was looking at her bank account and immediately, right. My heart races, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. The dread that I get flush. I'm defensive, right. I'm ready to attack, right. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like I'm getting painted. And all she wants to know is like, what happened? Right. Sure. And she's like, Hey, I see that there was two big purchases at target. Right. And so again, now I'm super defensive about it. You know, targets, cash registers were broken. And so I had to use one card and, So I transferred it from the card I wanted to use. It was for her birthday present, right? Yeah. I bought her a big gift card, you know, and I had to put it on like our joint account. I never would have done that. I was using my, but I had to because anyway. Sure. And so I said, no, nope. I deposited it right back in. I put that right back in. You put how much? I said, I put the $236 right back in. And then she takes her phone like with the app on and shows it to me, right? And for me, for if, if I ever do that to you, that means I think you're a liar and I'm trying to show you that I'm right and you're wrong, mm. right? That's that's my filter, mm-hmm. right? That's what I would mean if I did that. So of course, that's what I assumed she meant when she did that, mm-hmm. right? So then that t- sends me to the roof, right? Like, yeah. what? You don't believe me? Right. She's like, I never said I don't right. believe. I just wanted to see that it's not showing up on my thing. But, you know, so when I think about anxiety and I think about like how we deal with our anxiety, You also, in these relationships that we have with our spouses or with our kids, you know, with our friends or our work, like they've got their own set of baggage and it's not the same baggage. Like they might have Samsonite and we've got American Tourster, right? So like we've got different bags. And so you have to extend grace, right? right? Assume the best of people and not the worst of people, especially the people that you love the most. Absolutely. Yes, we do. They each are dealing with their own fears and worries and stresses. We hope in relationship over time, those join up a bit, right? So there's some trust that's built. There's some comfort that's built. There's this idea that we're in this together. And I think if you approach anything that way with the people you're in relationship with and actually say that to each other, hey, like this stuff really gets me like worried and anxious. So can you help walk me through this? And any person who has any compassion at all, not even like unabashed, but like compassion, like friendly neighborliness is going to go, oh yeah, let's walk through this together. We'll do that a lot of times with our coworkers, you know, but we don't always do that with the people who are closest to us. Why? Because we have that level of comfort and they've seen all of the things. So two things, one, we need to address the anxiety that you have when you are in those situations, because we know that you have a history of that, but we also know that there's some like, uh, you said uh, a week away from homelessness. Okay. Are you a week away from homelessness right now in this conversation? No, you're not. Okay. So let's not operate on that feeling. Let's look at, we're going to do this together. We have a solution so that we never, ever go back to those things. And so that's how we have to process through in that we have to look at, am I reacting as if that's happening again? Yes, I am. Because I'm getting all worked up. Is that true today? Yes or no? I, you just have to face it sometimes, right? Yes, we are in that place. Okay. Can we do things to figure it out? And that's the exact place that my daughter and I came to over the weekend was, uh, are there things, did things, are things not the way that I thought they would be? Yes. Um, in, in our current a situation, money we had put away for college has all but disappeared, right? In our investments, which would be fine because we know how the, the market goes, but we actually need that in the next few months. So that's, oh, that was just, oh no, all the things we were afraid of like are happening. It was, it was better to keep it in my mattress, right? Um, so does it look different? Yes. Uh, can we still find a solution to this? Yes. Is it going to be harder? Yep. Harder than we thought, but will we figure out a way together? For sure. And we have to keep resetting that um, because we've entered into the 
this is what's happening again and it's all over, right? And now we're in anxiety and our minds are racing and we're not going to find any solution. We have to be able, we have to be willing to go into the discussion and talk about what is true today and what can we do about it? Because too often we're too comfortable with sitting in the anxiety because we're so familiar with that, that when we actually come to resolution and we don't have something to be anxious about, now we're restless. Now we're pacing because we're like, well, something else must be coming, right? Because I don't even know how to operate in peace. And the goal is peace. And we're not the only ones. If you go to scripture, I mean, you, you, David, he absolutely had anxiety. I mean, but people were trying to kill him. I mean, like legit trying to kill him. So he had a reason. Uh, but did he have good people around him and loyal friends and people who loved him and was God on his side? Absolutely. Right. But he even had those moments. I think whenever we have an anxious moment, we should look to David because in there, he will start out the psalm like, God, why have you abandoned me? I'm going to die here. And then he always gets to end. He's like, but here's what I know to be true. And here's who I know that you are. Um, the same thing is true with Daniel. He, you know, we, we hear these stories and we're like, he was in the lion's den and he survived this, you know, all these brave things. And he prayed three times a day. And yet uh, the Bible says that he fainted and lay sick for days because he was confronted with terrifying visions. If that isn't a picture of anxiety, I don't know what is, right? We're faced with terrifying visions of all the things we're afraid could maybe happen, but probably never will. And then we live in those stories. And then Jesus himself, I said he experienced such distress and apprehension in the garden of Gethsemane that his sweat turned to droplets of blood. Have you ever been so worried about something that you just feel like your brain is deteriorating because you cannot figure it out and, and you're, you're sick to your stomach and you're nauseous and you can't sleep? I think a lot of us have been in that place. Rightly or unjustly so, right? Have we put ourselves in that place or have we actually been facing? Are we in a situation right now where anxiety? I, yeah, of course we would have anxiety because of all these things that we never thought we would have to face. But can we use this as an opportunity to work through some of the things that we're facing these reactions from and actually start to work through them so that we can respond well to them because we are absolutely capable of problem solving and getting through difficult things and overcoming challenges if we can slow down those reactions so that we can actually start responding. You know, I love that you said that. And it, you, you, we kept talking about how mental health and anxiety always has like this connotation to it, this negative connotation. I feel like in the church, for the longest time, like, yeah. you know, up till recently, mm-hmm. right. We've, we've kind of like ignored mental health or we, or we assign mental health as something that, boy, you just don't have enough faith, right? Yeah. Like right. you shouldn't be worried. Don't worry. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Right. And as though that scripture verse would just make us right. Right. And so like, we've ignored mental health for the longest time. And I, I have a t-shirt that says it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. And I, right. like, I feel like we should know that, that we should know that it doesn't make you a bad believer or a bad follower of Jesus Christ if you have anxiety. Right. That, in fact, as you pointed out, like, Jesus sure looked like he had anxiety in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can never say that, right? Anyway, so, like, can we talk about that just a little tiny bit? Like, we're, we're nearly done, but I just wanted to make sure that we that we address that, that mm-hmm. it, that that this having anxiety doesn't mean that you're disqualified as a believer. No, absolutely not. And Mental health has nothing to do with your level of faith, just like your physical health has nothing to do with your level of faith. And for some reason, we got those two things separated somehow or somewhere, or maybe we just didn't have 
a good understanding of how the whole body worked and how one piece impacted another. You can have horrible physical health that impacts your mental health, right? And then it's a cycle. It impacts you mentally, emotionally, and those things can cause more problems in your digestive system and in your healing. I mean, there are studies, scientific studies that I I love to read because science with Becky, uh, but not everyone enjoys that. But there are actual studies where they have seen like cancer patients and burn victims where their outlook in life, what they cemented themselves or founded themselves and absolutely had an impact on how they recovered. And so just like our parents who maybe didn't know how to deal with these things and they said, oh, just stop crying. Why are you crying now? In the church, we have said, just pray about it. You don't have enough faith. You need to believe more. You need to pray some more and then some more. And that's true. But we also need the practical side of it. We need to understand what's happening. We need to be able to identify that in ourselves. We need to be able to find steps to help us to slow that all down so that when we do pray and we do meditate and we go to the word, we have removed some of the junk that has been occupying space in our head and our hearts so that we can replenish it with those good things, the truth and and that balm that the scripture is and that worship is, whatever it is that you're capable of doing right now, because, you know, maybe you can't read your Bible because it's like, I can't read all the these and thou's and I can't find a, a, a version that I can uh, relate to, but can you listen to worship music? Um, can you um, sit quietly and take in the beauty of a sunset? Like commit yourself every night to run down to whatever vantage point you have and just take in a sunset where you can just slow down the noise that's going on in your head and your heart. And God has put that out there for us so that we can absolutely remember that he's right there with us and for us, that he created this big universe and that he's going to help us uh, get through these times. There are so many scriptures that tell us, you know, if I I'm, I take care of the birds every day, won't I take care of you? And the scripture in Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that you talked about, it's absolutely true, but we can't absorb it until we've removed and worked through some of the pieces um, that we have occupying space inside of us. So I love, uh, well, I love that one because uh, it says, don't, I love the message. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray, let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. And I love that line. Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. I'm a very much, I need to do something, right? What can I do in this process? Oh, you're telling me to take those worries, like, say them, like just bring them to the light so that sometimes when you put them in the light, you're like, well, that's pretty ridiculous. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? You pull back the curtain, you're like, oh my goodness, that's what I was afraid of. That sounds pretty ridiculous. And I think uh, in the show, This Is Us, they play that game. Worst case scenario, yeah, go. Yeah. Just say it. And you say it and you, all of a sudden you're laughing because you're like, well, that's pretty dumb. <laughs> like that, oh my goodness. Like, did I really think that was going to happen? And then start saying what we know to be true. And I love that exercise they do. We should do that more often with each other. Um, but what I love is Luke 10, 27, and it's a foundational verse for uh, journey to wholeness and for life church. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And did you hear the three pieces? Those are the three pieces that we're talking about in journey to wholeness that we're talking about that you need to focus on if you want to be whole. And what it means is that you're wholly directed toward the love of God. 
And I love that. I found that in a commentary. You're wholly directed toward the love of God. Meaning when my mind gets busy, I'm going to, nope, I got to redirect it wholly toward the love of God. What do I know to be true? If my heart is hurting because I'm sad or depressed or, or I have had loss or I'm disappointed, can I point it? Like, what do I need to do to redirect it to the love of God so that I'm not playing the game of let's play worst case scenario and live in that world. I'm going, let me focus everything, like all of me. Can I make my heart and my mind and my spirit turn and direct toward God and keep my attention there? I think that's why I love sunsets, right? I'm absolutely engaged in what is happening right there and acknowledging that there is a God who loves me and he created me with the ability to heal and be whole, with the ability to reason, with the ability to process, with the ability to understand myself better so that I can understand him better. And he and I, in that work, I can be whole. Mm, I dig that. Becky, this was good today. Thanks for that. If people want more information on Journey to Wholeness or how they could get engaged, where should they go? What should they do? You can find us at journeytowholeness.org. That's the letter J, the number two, wholeness.org for more resources. So j2wholeness.org. Dot org. Okay. That's perfect. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed uh, this episode. I know I sure did. I've got a lot to take back with me and work on. If you enjoyed it, we love it if you subscribed uh, on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to share with friends, we'd love that as well. I think that's it. Anything else you want to add? That's it. Have a great week, friends. I hope you take time, seven minutes to work through what you're going through right now. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.